One and live Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims, and I'm joined today by Bill Hawks. Bill, welcome to VUX World. Yeah, Kane, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, Bill, you are, it's a mouthful of a title, Digital, yeah. customer, experience, digital customer Experience Manager for Conversational AI and Virtual Client Services. Is hey. that right? Uh, yeah, we're going to have to find a way to make that more conversational and short. <laughs> but uh, so basically, you're running running the conversational AI program at Citizens Bank is is the the short yeah. and simple. We're, we're we're planting it and growing it, you know, out of, out of the ground. <laughs> but, nice, uh, nice. Yeah, not, not too big uh, yet in terms of running the program, but we're we're establishing it and growing it. That's for sure. Nice, nice. That's good. And you have lots of experience in this field from your time at Truist, uh, which is another you know decent sized bank in the US. And so, definitely getting uh, excited to get into the conversation today around you know the Truist situation and, and your learnings there, and and Citizens Bank and where the opportunities are there, and how you're kind of how you're planning it really. And if you're listening to this and you are you know a product manager, product owner, working kind of at a senior level in organisations, trying to figure out how you get this kind of stuff off the ground then hopefully this conversation is going to help you out immensely. So thank you for joining us, Bill. Yeah. We're going to also, quickly before we kick off, uh, quick shout out to the webinar that we're doing with TalkDesk on December the 8th. So this is going to be all about um, conversational commerce and how conversational AI is able and is driving revenue for uh, retailers and, and all kinds of other companies. And we're going to be joined by Dawn Harpster from TalkDesk discussing all of the different use cases and all of the ways the conversational AI is being used in a commerce environment to help that kind of like pre-sales and sales journey. And so definitely you want to check out that if you are working in retail or in any kind of sales org, uh, how digital workers can autonomously help you scale your sales. It's going to be immense. Uh, go to vux.world forward slash events if you want to learn more about that. vux.world forward slash events. And uh, hopefully we'll see you there on December the 8th. I feel like I should do some sort of like Christmas theme for that, Bill, what do you reckon? I absolutely think so. If you're not wearing a Christmas sweater, an ugly Christmas sweater, then you're not doing it. <laughs> I've got plenty of ugly Christmas sweaters, definitely. <laughs> I, I will say, right, ugly Christmas sweaters are kind of in fashion now. And I remember a long time ago, it <clears throat> wasn't that long ago, it was probably about six or seven years ago, maybe it's a bit longer, I was saying to my sister, for Christmas... I want the worst Christmas jumper you can possibly find. And she's like, "Why would you? Why would you want like a terrible Christmas jumper?" I said, "Because it's, it's, you know, I just fancy one of those like really cringeworthy Christmas jumpers." And uh, two years later, apparently, it's a thing to do. It's the cringy Christmas jumpers are where it's at. So I don't know what was going on. I don't know if I had a moment of uh, madness um, that turns out to be a lucky shot in the dark. Well, that's what it's all about these days, Bill. Is mad Christmas jumpers. <laughs> I walked into Target the other day, and they had all these, you know big knit uh sweaters with lights and bells and stuff hanging off of them it's wild <laughs> that's what it's all about that's what it's all about. add a bit of tinsel in there and that's that's my kind of jumper yeah <laughs> uh you can tell it's getting towards christmas because we're kicking off with some christmas conversations it's the first christmas conversation i've had actually for for uh for this year so we're kind of rolling into the holidays which is nice um and I, so yeah so th thanks for joining us appreciate it and so maybe we should begin so 
I think a lot of people in the US will be familiar with Citizens Bank, obviously. Um, people in the UK, Europe, maybe it's not so much. So maybe we should start by doing a little bit of context setting and tell us about Citizens Bank and maybe it's a bit more of an overview of the, the work that you're kind of uh, aiming to achieve there. Because you haven't, you haven't been in post for, for a terribly long time, have you? Yeah, actually, I've only been a Citizens about two and a half months. Uh, I was at Truist before that. Um, so some background there would be, Really, both banks are uh, super regionals, uh, so they have a lot of size to them, but they're only in specific states. Uh, so if you look at it from a truest perspective, they are in, I think, somewhere 17, 18 states, mostly in the southeast, uh, but they do span all the way up to the, the PA or Pennsylvania uh, region. Uh, so they're Pennsylvania down to Florida, over to Texas, and that's pretty much it. That's where it stops. But even with that footprint, uh, they were the sixth largest bank in the United States. And that was wow. uh, created through a merger of BB&T and SunTrust. And so I came from the BB&T side of the house. Um, so that'll be kind of a complexity to describing my journey into conversational AI as this big uh, financial merger. Uh, but after completing the work to launch Truist Assist into production and get it out to all you know, 10 million of our, our clients. Um, we were uh, just talking about kind of what's next and opportunity came up for me to go to Citizens Bank. Um, so Citizens also a super regional right now, uh, mostly uh, headquartered, in, uh, headquartered in Rhode Island. So Providence, Rhode Island, if you're familiar with that and uh, really good presence in the New England area. Uh, but continuing to acquire other banks and expand to other states. And there are uh, aspirations to have national products uh, and then eventually a national bank. Um, so if you've seen anything like Citizens Access, that's a, a high-yield savings uh, product that they have that you can access nationally. Um, and then there's some other solutions that Citizens provides, um, even like student loans or um, other uh, buy now, pay later type of lending that they do that is already on a national scale mm, nice and so what's your what's your role there at citizens and we mentioned obviously you're running the, the conversational ai kind of side of things and, and getting the plans in motion for that so i wonder if you can shed a bit more light in terms of like the scope of what you're there to try and accomplish yeah i mean if you think about like my role in general is coming from product ownership product management background so it is I can boil it down to like, how do you explain this to somebody when you're at, you know, cookout or barbecue or whatever, uh, maybe a, a football match, uh, you know, how would you describe what it is you do? It's, it's really set the roadmap and vision for what are we going to build and how is it going to benefit our customers? Um, and then from there, you break it down for defining like what does excellent look like and what should we expect this experience to look like for our customer? And you have to define it two different ways. You have to define what you know is the acceptance criteria for uh, for me to communicate clearly to the developers and they have technical like this has to be true for this work to be done uh, and considered you know checked off the list. Uh, but you also have to communicate it more in a uh, a business sense and a, a client experience sense too of like this is what excellent looks like um, this is what we want our clients to feel and experience and understand when they're interacting with this particular technology 
So I'm, I'm always bridging the gap between business thinkers uh, that are really more obsessed about client experience, uh, but have no idea how the tech works, and technical thinkers who are typically excited about the technology. You know, they like the speeds and the feeds, and they love NLP and NLU, but they don't necessarily always think about how it gets into the hands of the customer. Um, so I'm, I'm that bridge in between technical thinkers and business thinkers and, uh, you know, doing product management for the most part. Uh, but I have a team of people uh, that we're, we're building into sort of a fully stacked uh, agile team where we have product leaders uh, that help define that work. And we have bot developers uh, that help build that work. And then um, we'll have conversational design and testing as part of that as well. Nice. Nice. It's interesting as you sort of start to describe some of those kind of quality control measures there around like the acceptance criteria and stuff like that. And what I, it's, there's, there's all kinds of stuff I think I've noticed that happens with conversational AI that doesn't happen in other kind of forms of software development to its detriment, which is that testing, for example, I don't know how many people, how many companies that launch a chatbot do kind of like security testing to see whether there's any backdoors in their in their conversational interfaces. How many of them do things like quality assurance testing to make sure that one, your NLU is able to perform with the training data that you've given it, and two, it's able to perform with live data that, that it will receive. And one of the things that, that you mentioned there being acceptance criteria. So for those people who are familiar with like scrum methodologies and stuff like that, obviously every item that you intend to work on on the backlog has a definition of done, which is the acceptance criteria. When, when these things have been done, then this thing is finished and it's signed off. And we use a form of that in work that we do, but it's it's that level of detail that you don't really hear that much about. So I'm wondering whether your approach to the creation of conversational AI, do you treat this as another software project and treat in terms of the management, the structure and the way that you kind of go about building this stuff, like Atruist, for example, do you treat this like another software project and you make sure that every item has a definition of done and that, you know, everyone understands what it takes to, to kind of build this feature and stuff like that? Or do you think there's other things that you've observed where, um, not necessarily Atruist, but like other practices that you've observed where maybe people are cutting corners and, and maybe it's not treating it as the same as any other software development platform, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the challenges we have is conversational AI, uh, you know, players on, on this landscape, in this field is to bring our companies along, right? So you have to kind of start with what they know and what they understand. And if, if acceptance criteria and software development is what they understand, then let's start there, right? But one of the things I think is unique about the space that we're in is potentially the longer cycles of like alpha and beta and, you know, rolling it out gently so that you are doing a lot of the quality control and quality assurance actually with live fire, you know, happening. <laughs> um, so um, the rollout strategy matters for your conversational AI. Um, you can treat it like software all the way until the point where day one it launches. And then it's like, oh, I didn't know they were going to do that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the challenge is treat it like software to get it stood up like framework wise off the ground, but then really start to lean into some of these newer practices for conversational AI where you're 
um, you know, doing maybe a teammate rollout and then you're doing go from teammate rollout to uh, a beta release and a beta release. It's only to a, a thousand people that are your special customers. And, you know, they're really highly engaged in your digital tools. They like trying new things. And then going from there to, you know, a particular state or region or, you know, bulk of your clients that you can roll out, you know, before you get it all the way out there to everyone. Um, and in those cycles, you're doing a lot more with intent management, uh, intent training. You're having to almost reserve a good portion of your capacity, not to build new features, but actually to make the dialogues you thought you'd have much better and make your intent management, uh, you know, a lot more clear and um, you know, able to understand them better. Mm, that's interesting. And, and so... Playing on them differences then between this and other software development kind of methodologies or, or approaches, you could have the same kind of approach to like a new website design or, or potentially an app rollout, potentially, you know, mm-hmm. you could promote it in one area, get a sample kind of, there's loads of stuff you can do before you go live as well with user research and usability testing and stuff like that. But not always are companies culturally ex- like understanding of that kind of process that's a very agile kind of approach which is that you get enough to be able to prove the value and, and then put that live and test that and iterate that and then maybe in, in a conversational sense maybe you'll pull that for a week or two make those changes test it again then relaunch it and, and you can kind of that is the, the kind of like best way of doing it is slowly and steadily roll it out but you've got stakeholders that expect results and so I'm wondering whether you can share kind of any observations you've had around the expectations of senior stakeholders, your management and all that kind of stuff, based yeah. on their paradigms of other applications that have been done in a more of a waterfall kind of big bang approach. And whether there's any sort of conversations that need to be had about, look, actually, this is not how this stuff works. We need to roll it out in stages and here's why kind of thing. Yeah, there's a ton of that. I mean, ultimately, what I think you see a lot of is, it you know it's like go back 20 years and some of the other technologies and then imagine that's where conversational ai is right now right it's like mm. uh the the business that didn't have a website that's like we have to have a website gotta have a website by the end of the year and what they get is a terrible website <laughs> so <laughs> um you know i i used to be a product manager for uh, the public websites at bbnt uh as it rolled into to truest. And I think the biggest difference is, you know, people understood what a website was. They knew what to request even when they made the request. Um, now I have executives and line of business partners that like when they request something, they don't even really know what they want. Um, they just have kind of heard the noise about chatbots are helpful uh, when my customer is lost and needs to find their way. And that's all they know from that point forward. It's like, oh, I, I didn't know there was these things called intents or I didn't know you needed to train it. You know, that that's interesting. Um, so there's a lot of that education. I, I would say education is a big part of my role, right? Because I can get my team busy, continuing to build features out, but I've got to go educate the rest of the business and manage all the intake of demand and what's next for our customers. Um, there's a big difference in you know, highlighting like the difference between website building or app building and conversational AI, I would say two things. One, all, all we're really doing in like a human sense is um, it all kind of relates back to information architecture. 
But when you do information architecture on a website, things get really testy of big decisions of like, we really want to do this and this is what we think our menu should be like. And then it becomes, you know, somebody doesn't agree that that's what the menu should look like. When you do conversational AI, your information architecture is more like a knowledge graph. Like you can go anywhere and add anything at any point and your customer doesn't have to see that top down hierarchical, uh, you know, information architecture. They should be able to zip to wherever they want to go. And that's the beauty of NLU is like delete the IA map from their view and just let them ask for what they want. Um, don't, don't force them to learn how to use your software you learn how to give them what they want. Um, so the mm -hmm. learning flipped on its head there. Um, so I think it's a, a big difference uh, between those two. And then mm -hmm. I would say conversationally, I, what people don't really understand, uh, the second piece would be they want a chatbot, right? And they think they know what the, the chatbot, uh, you know, needs to be capable of doing, but they don't account for all the things that the customer's going to do that, you know, they, they just haven't thought about, right? So I think uh, a baseline uh, conversation to have is, hey, you know, I can launch a chatbot today, but then I'm actually going to erode customer trust by launching something that has too little knowledge um, and can't really understand certain things. So um, I would like to see us launch with a breadth of stuff. Oh, my lights are small. <laughs> 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 But I, I've challenged my leadership to say, you know, there is a, a minimum here that we have to hit prior to going out, uh, going out the door. We have to have a breadth of answers and a breadth of understanding so that we don't lose trust in this interface. Because I want people to use it. You know, it's, if your first experience is terrible, then you don't come back and you don't use it. Then we really we're building in the dark. Right. We're not benefiting our customer. Mm -hmm. We're not benefiting the business. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Have you have you experienced um, so? For example, the team that you have here and the team that you had at Truist were they all experienced in conversational AI, or have they come from another kind of background? And the reason I ask is that, as you explained there quite rightly, the difference between conversational AI and graphical user interfaces is that graphical user interfaces you can base purely on assumptions because there's already design paradigms in place. There's already frameworks in place. You could start with a template. People know what buttons are. People know what menus are. People know all of this kind of stuff. The mental model is already there. So 50% of your work has already been done before you've even created your design. And I think quite often when, when people come into conversational AI who, have, who are used to that graphical user interface, they bring all of the assumptions that they typically use in graphical design into conversation design, which is, well, it should start with this and then it should go down to these two branches here and then it should go there and do this. And so it can be very easy to slip straight into this assumption-based kind of design paradigm. I wonder if you've got any kind of learnings from the past or present in terms of how you encourage teams to think a bit differently about this kind of stuff and almost break out of that kind of paradigm. Oh, 100%. Yeah, um, what we see a lot of, uh, even even on my team today, I'm coaching to get away from decision trees, to get away from hierarchy, to really uh, leverage the power of NLU and, and show them good examples of, of those experiences too. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question completely, but um, uh, it's just so important to, to get away from some of those things. I, 
at Truist, absolutely. We had um, a great design team. It was really familiar with conversational AI. And then, you know, you look at it from product and technical management, it was like, oh, this is a new field. We're moving you over from what you're already good at, um, which may be IVR development. It may be uh, mobile app development, that sort of thing. Um, and so the the maturity of like what people understand about it or, you know, where, where they are in their own personal learning journey, it varies greatly. Um, mm-hmm. And you're not going to have a team that's all 100% sold out for conversational AI and been learning it for, you know, three to five years already, um, you're going to get a mixture of people that are, you know, in it every day and love it and learn it. Um, and you're going to get other people that you have, you know, brought in and, and they like something about your vision and you've, you've got them on board, but you're going to have to bring them up, uh, to that conversational AI way of thinking. Uh, so I experienced that quite a bit in the last two stops. Uh, so there, there's a lot of work to be done there. Mm. It's interesting. I never, I kind of like, obviously for me, most of the time, um, having conversations with people and and not always working with people who are like really bullish about it and part of the community. But that's kind of a lot of it. And mm-hmm. even even when we work with clients, most of the time it's working predominantly with people who are like you know are really passionate about it. And so I've never really. It's been an assumption, I suppose, that most people that work in conversational AI are doing it because of the fact that that they like the technology and and they really want to kind of work in this area. But I think you're right, is that a lot of people have very good skills that are directly applicable. And when you're in a business and you want to make something happen, you need to pull people in to make it happen. And so I, I never actually really thought about people being in a team that you know if they could pick their own project, maybe wouldn't have chosen this one. So it's an interesting dynamic that. Yeah, I mean, even even some of the partners you have throughout the life cycle of getting out to production, you might have partners that are doing a cloud cybersecurity. Like, you're doing what? Like, what does that you know engine do over there? And how secure is it? And uh, is it just you know auto generating responses back to the customer? Or are you pre planning what those dialogue flows look like? And there's education there. And then you go to your user research department, and ninety nine percent of what they've been doing for user research has a graphical user interface that's a website or mobile app and now you're asking them to do a research project on what are the things that my client wants to see in this chat uh, or in this voice experience and that's very different for them Um, and even like figuring out okay I'm bringing in 12 people on Friday to do this study how do I even do this study with them like what do I show them how do I how do I prototype this uh, and get it in front of them to where they can see at least the part that we want them to see and and, and that sort of thing. So there's a challenge in ways of working uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and then you can have other people that maybe are from a contact center background, right? And they're thinking, well, the benefit of this conversational AI stuff is uh, just, you know, preventing people from having to call. Mm-hmm. What if we could just save a bunch of money by preventing calls and they get into it and they're like, oh, man, this this kind of conversational stuff is pretty deep. Like, you know, I've really <laughs> grown a lot in this area or that area. Um, so there's there's a lot uh, in banking. I think it happens, too, where you have even people that are experts in banking and, and they end up in a digital role. Right. So they're like, oh, I, I've 
I know what the branch functions like. I know what operations functions like. I know what a contact center does. Like I'm operationally really sound from a banking standpoint, but this is my first few years in digital and software land, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't come from a tech mm-hmm. startup. I don't think that way. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, things you need to do to educate and, you know, bring people together towards one vision and one roadmap. Mm, definitely. And, and this is the nature, not necessarily of those individuals specifically that have got really deep banking knowledge, but I think generally speaking, financial institutions, government organizations, healthcare, all very similar, insurance, all very, in fact, most organizations are similar in a sense of they have a way of doing things. And this is the way that we do things today. Mm-hmm. And what's hard, even from a web and an app standpoint, before conversational AI, was encouraging that culture to be more like, instead of saying, this is what we do, and this is how it's done, and therefore what we present to people is the front end of what we do and how it's done. <laughs> you know, I think the good uh, companies basically embrace that kind of customer-centric thinking in terms of how should this app design be? How should this website design be to make it easy for people? And therefore, we'll then need to make some adjustments to what we do behind the scenes operationally in order to facilitate that. And I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's it. that for me is exactly the same with conversational AI, which is that if you start with the conversation and you take the conversation where it needs to go in order to resolve a customer issue, and then you work back to the process, back to the operations, back to the technology, you're kind of in a similar situation where you realize that actually there's a bunch of capabilities that you need that you don't have. And it's almost kind of like trying to encourage that mentality of let's not think about what we have currently. Let's think about what the art of the possible is and work back from there. And so there's often, I think, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on how much of that kind of internal conversation is about trying to break the mold of the the status quo kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that's a huge, huge part of what I do every day is is educate and coach and uh, make friends throughout in different layers of the bank uh, to figure out, you know, how can we be partners in this stuff? And can I bring you along to realize, you know, what you're calling a chatbot? Uh, I want to get into something that's more of an intelligent digital assistant or I want to mm-hmm. be in virtual land. I don't want to be in chatbot land too long. Um, but one thing you do have to do is is sort of uh, show, not tell um, sometimes, right? Um, you have to prove the value. And, and the way I do this is I've got a sort of methodology or a model for how I get, you know, success out there early and then where we're going with it. And so what I, what I will walk a line of business there is we're going to start with the quick hits, the easy wins, uh, low-hanging fruit, which I call the informational use cases. So the informational use cases are the answer is the same information for all for all people that are in your audience. So it doesn't have to be customized, doesn't have to be personalized. And the output from the bot can be fairly simple, right? It's content, buttons, links, that's it, right? And then we move up from that and we, we go into more of an inquiry mindset. And the inquiry mindset is, okay, this is unique information to this one person, but the things I need to make that happen should be fairly simple. Like I may need some APIs on the back end, but they're, they should be fairly simple um, APIs that just go and get, go and fetch information and we present that back into the conversation. Um, you know, and then from there we graduate, 
well, okay, we've, we've now been successful in showing you that a chatbot can use an API. That's great. Let's graduate to task completion or task uh, fulfillment. And that way, you're not just going in to get information. I'm both getting and posting actions or posting information into other systems or systems of record conversationally. And that can be really fun. Um, but you don't start there with, you know, task completion. Um, you know, and then I think where we're going and what everybody dreams conversational AI can do is getting to where your virtual assistant is essentially the voice of the brand in the same way that uh, if you had a friend who was a banker or you know a friend that's an expert in whatever industry you're talking about, they could they could recommend uh, essentially. So that that top like pinnacle, the top of the pyramid would be how do I recommend, provide insights, provide advice, and do so proactively, where like that voice is coming to me versus me going mm -hmm. inbound and it responding. Um, so I try and bring people along that that journey and show them that we're going to have success right here by getting all your FAQ answers figured out and get NLU in play. So now NLU's mm. in play. Great. Our responses are pretty simplified, you know, FAQs, content links, whatever. Then we go and start uh, embedding APIs. And now we've done APIs successfully together. Let's get into the really complex APIs and really complex systems that your company has. Mm, interesting. That is exactly what our, uh, it's called, I'll call, I don't know if I should change his name, but it's called the DITAT model, right? And I presented this at Voice Summit. Um, and the reason for it is if you can get to the end of the DITAT model, you will detach yourself <laughs> from, <laughs> that was a bit of a reach, from your current operations and enter this kind of like transformative landscape. But basically, I didn't use that, that phraseology, but it's basically the same thing, which is stage one is deflection which is the FAQ stuff. You're trying to prevent people from contacting. And that end of the scale is more of a business-first mentality. It's useful because you're helping customers answer questions, but really the goal is to stop people from going any further and signpost <laughs> them to the right way. <laughs> and, so, and so it's kind of like a deflecting sort of use case. And then the stage after that is interpreting, mm -hmm. which is, well, as you suggested, you know, you're taking information from people, you're going to retrieving data, you can interpret what they want. Other things might be um, rooting, in the call center, you know, taking someone's intent, getting them to the right kind of place. Uh, sentiment analysis could be could be that as well. Um, and then you kind of move along from that to transacting. And every stage you're getting towards more customer-centric solutions and you're getting towards more strategic value as well, transacting, which is getting people, help people get stuff done, which is exactly as you said, retrieving information from APIs, posting information into, into line of business systems, kicking off processes. Mm -hmm. Um the fourth being assisting, which is where you start to become more proactive, more advisory, in into the realms where the user might not actually know what they want themselves, but due, over the course of dialogue, you can help them understand what it is that they need and then recommend the right kind of thing. You become assisting. And then the last one is transforming, which is where the the conversation requires in order to fulfill a conversation it requires you to make some fundamental business changes in terms of how you operate so for example um 
and then some of this might be regulatory uh restricted and all that kind of stuff but you know mm-hmm. most in, most innovation breaks some kind of ground so for example applying for a mortgage from end to end having a conversation with an automated ai getting approved for a loan from end to end is going to require a lot more back-end orchestration uh, to be able to do that, especially to be able to do that on every channel, WhatsApp, SMS, chat, voice, you know. And so the final kind of stage I've kind of, this this is kind of my sort of opinion in, in this model is that transforming stage. But it's, it's so interesting that those stages that you kind of just described is pretty much exactly what's in that what's in that model. It's yeah, wicked. You're, you're spot on. I, I love the the model as you describe it. Uh, we'll, we'll work on the branding so we can get a, a name that's real easy for everybody to, to latch yeah. on to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's excellent. Ricky, I'll send it to you. Yeah. In fact, it's I'm gonna I'm in a post I'm in the middle of writing a post about it. The the talk from Voice Summit will be up um online shortly anyway, but um the the actual article I'm gonna write about it will be up soon as well. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. Like we go back to uh like what the <coughs> digital transformation. You know, like they, everybody's been promised digital transformation for half a decade now and nobody really knows what it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love that you're you're thinking about it in that way, right? It's like I, I'm taking something that's digital and I'm scaling it up. I'm taking people along the journey and going through these different phases. And transformation is that that goal that's uh, you know out on the the horizon. That's the the highest possible use for this type of technology is in its most human like form, right? Mm. Uh, that's that's where transformation happens, right? We're this technology that starts out pretty rudimentary, you know, input, output, that's the basis of technology. You get it to a point where you've got essentially like human-like recommendations and human-like conversations. Um, and you know, that's where, where transformation happens, right? Where it's just as easy for me to get what I want from the brand that I trust with my voice or with my keyboard as it is any other way that's available to me, including mm. going talking to one of their people in their brand. Well, the 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 only way to get some things done is to talk to people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> businesses can't have or don't have everything available that, that customers need. If they did, then there wouldn't be any such thing as call centers, you know, <laughs> or, or, or anything like that. And so, you know, it's like, the the transformation thing is happens in two areas i think it happens on the customer side because now you can have that conversation that personalized conversation and, and feel like you're speaking to someone at any at any point in time on any channel and the business has the transformation benefit because it has to reorganize itself and its people to be able to facilitate them conversations in an automated way which is not it's easier said than done. So you have to transform the way the business operates to be able to sort of deliver that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, yeah, it's it's really interesting kind of uh, territory because the conversational part, like Frank Frank Schneider from, uh, it's now Verint actually, Speakeasy was acquired by Verint, but he kind of was mentioning that, that, conversa- that transformation has always been about voice. Digital transformation has always been about voice because it's always been about trying to have self-service in other channels to prevent people from calling or people from using more expensive conversational channels. So right from the very beginning, if you'd have been automating the conversations, then you'd have been, you know, ahead of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what your partners in business will understand, right, is the cost efficiencies that you can drive, right? Mm. 
Um, we're like, hey, I, I could sit here and coach you and educate you about the client experience and this transformation and this innovation all day long. But if you're not accountable to innovation or transformation yourself, you know, your department is more uh, geared towards, well, what's the, the profit <laughs> that we're trying to drive, then you have to speak that language, right? You have to speak to those cost savings of, of automation and, and kind of make it, make it out in their terms. Mm. What's your thoughts on sort of like, if, you, if we carry on down that model, if you go from deflecting to interpreting to transacting through assisting through transforming, then the other end of that, I've got another model, which is all about scaling, which is based on like, the first thing you need is the people processes and tools in place to be able to do anything. Yep. Then what you need to be able to do is get the right amount of coverage. So you mentioned it earlier on. You don't want to go live with something that can only do three things. You need to have enough breadth for it to be useful. So you need to have enough coverage over your use cases. Then you need to have enough availability. So it's fine to start in one channel like chat or start in a channel like, like the contact center. But mm-hmm. to scale, you will need to go across your channels Google My Business, in-app, on the website, in your contact center, through WhatsApp, SMS, RCS, whatever it might be. And then finally, you need the adoption. So in each of those channels, you need to be increasing adoption. And then that in turn leads you to requirements to have more people, better tools, better processes, et cetera. And it kind of goes round on a kind of uh, a thing. Mm-hmm. So if you, ca- if, you carry on, if you carry on going down that scale and you continue getting coverage across all of the different use cases that, in, the, in your case, the bank covers... Um, I don't know if you can hear Winston there. I think my wife's coming home. The dog's going crazy. This house, I've just moved out. This house is just not very soundproofed at all. I need to get some foam up on the walls. Um, So if you continue going down that route and you get to that transforming kind of level, where you could end up is automated digital workers managing Mm -hmm. and having conversations and fulfilling the vast majority of the things that the bank does. If you look at Lemonade in the US, the insurance company that's basically available on SMS. If you look at Ant Bank in China, which all conversational the entire business is being built around conversational ai <laughs> if you look at the direction that eno is traveling uh, capital one with eno it's available on almost every platform doesn't do everything yet but it's it's available in email there's a website shortcut that enables you to make secure payments via it it's available on alexa they're in the contact center and as it starts to do more at what point in time does people's interactions with a bank become purely all driven by interactions with ai and mm. what are the impacts of that on the business? Because eventually, if we can get to that stage of having mortgages approved automatically by AI, regulation aside, uh, and loans approved and that kind of stuff, it's that is really transforming because you can have digital workers selling stuff 24-7 without any human involvement at all, <laughs> which is mad. Yeah, yeah. It- it is pretty fascinating to see, you know, I, I will say there's, there's been like a lot of talk about, um, you know, the ATM is going to kill the, the branch off. Right. And then the, the website is going to kill the branch off. And then the, the mobile app is going to be a thing that is the death of the branch. And, and now of course you're getting conversational AI into that conversation. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, intelligent digital assistants are going to be the thing to kill the, kill the bank branches. <laughs> um, so I don't know if there's ever, I don't know if there's ever a future where there's, there's no people, uh, you know, around because this is when it comes to money, it is really about like ethics and advice, uh, primarily. And so like mm. a lot of what your bank does is make sure that, 
things are managed properly and things are secure and trustworthy, like that's half the equation when you, you pick a bank. It's like, just make sure that this is always going to be there for me, right? It's going to be secure. Mm. That's the basis of, of banking is the trust part of it. And then the other side is like more of the uh, getting tasks done. But, um, you know, when you're trying to get tasks done, some tasks are more complex than others. Um, you know, and I think there's there's still a lot of room for having an advisor. Um, what I'd be interested in is seeing like almost the ratio of how many customers can you possibly serve with X amount of uh, advisors or X amount of uh, actual locations. Because um, I think that ratio is going to be dramatically changed. Um, I don't think that it's like, you know, not. I, I think some of the, the titles like the death of the branch or the death of the teller or whatever is like, oh, it's a little bit clickbait, you know, type of thing. Yeah. But I, I'm closely monitoring, like, what's the ratio? Like, how can we serve our clients well with a different ratio of, of you know, physical locations or different ratio of people and then how can we actually bring in people who work for us that, um, you know, they're no longer doing things that a bot can do. They're having more advisory roles, right? So you take hmm. a teller, you know, that might be taking in deposits and all that stuff and counting the drawer and that's, that sort of thing. There's things that you can automate about that. You've then got to cross train them to be able to have more advice based conversations and be able to change gears and talk about, you know, small businesses just as familiar as, you know, talking about uh, your granny's, you know, CD, you know, so <laughs> it's like, there's, there's all kinds of things you can do when you, you do get this automation stuff out there. Mm. And, and the reality is that it's all horses for courses, isn't it? Different people have different preferences, which is why it's, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I think conversational AI is becoming such a must-have. Not because it's like, obviously in future, fast forward 50 years when everyone who is typically and, and generally, I'm generalizing here, but generally the branch people, when they get to a point where they're no longer here, <laughs> uh, then what's left of the digital natives who are, you know, maybe... I don't know, 40 and below potentially or 50 and below or whatever, um, increasingly the digital activity will increase likely more than the branch activity. However, it's all about giving people those options, isn't it? So I think the reality is that conversation AI is not necessarily going to be, you know, a, a dominant force at any point in time soon. However, you kind of need to have the channel available. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think most people... Um, you know, I, I joke with, with my, my wife, like most people don't actually want to talk to their bank that often, you know, it's not <laughs> like you're, you're just dying to get home to where you can talk to your bank or like the first check, uh, you know, when you leave work is your banking app. Like that's not the case. Um, typically you're in more of a task completion mindset and, that's where I think the focus of banking uh, virtual assistants and digital assistants should be is just help me get the job done because I, I don't have an interest in talking to somebody about something that is, you know, a, a task completion type of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe, you know, there's, there's still going to be opportunity for having like a, a community presence, a, a hub almost in a community where you can 
you know, this is our bank building. You can come here. We can run even like educational type of stuff, like financial education is going to be huge. Um, and te- teaching people how to, to manage certain life events. Um, and that's the, the, the interesting thing where you can make a real impact in banking is understanding, you know, life events and what people are going through and why that then somehow is connected back to the management of their money. Um, that's mm-hmm. where it actually can, can make a human impact and, and love people the right way and take care of them and, and make sure that their experience is really good. But there's, there's, you know, those are like handfuls of events, right? You know, where something yeah. happens, your bank is there for you. It's not your everyday, like the everyday stuff should be automated. It should be easy. It should be conversational. Like uh, that, that should be right away technology driven. Yeah. And, and there's the value is, there as well in those cases whereby you know always having a human touch for certain situations is i think always going to be preferable you know and and the reality is there's some things that are so complex it's hard to to build into an ai system today maybe that'll change in future but there's some things that humans absolutely have to do um Mm -hmm. but i think that some some mentality it goes back to that model which is one end of it is business driven the other end of it is customer driven if you have a customer first mindset, you can automate that day to day stuff, but you can do it in a way that's delightful. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you, I called my bank the other day, Poly AI have been working with Metro Bank and um, they, I called them up and basically it said, What are you interested in? And I said, I want to, I want to transfer some money to Canada. And it said, Are you interested in international payments? I said, Yeah. And I was shocked. I was actually shocked that it understood what I said and pointed yeah. me in the right direction. It was it was delightful because I'd actually called the bank three weeks before and I was it was horrible because they just implemented <laughs> it, and so and so it was a fantastic experience. The, the bad part was that I was genuinely on hold for half an hour once it rooted me, <laughs> but but the actual that, <laughs> that that initial initial interaction was great. So even though that's a basic routine simple thing, doing it really really well can be a really good experience for people. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, again, like some of this is fundamental understanding that we have to continue to push for. But, um, you know, you think about banks' role in money, right? It's storing money, moving money, and advising how to uh, essentially make more money. Um, (laughs) So if you look at, like, how do we store money? we don't store it all in the bank vault that's next to your house. You know, (laughs) we store money digitally. Now, how do you move money? You move money digitally. Now, you know, you're doing stuff over a network. Uh, you're doing stuff maybe with even uh, a payment network, like your card that's in your wallet. Like these concepts seem so obvious to us now, but they weren't in, you know, the 1940s. Right. (laughs) So there's a lot that like we could, we could point to that has gone through digital transformation and that a lot of these task completion things uh, with, with banking are going to do the exact same. Um, and they're, they're going to be able to use conversational AI to where I don't have to route you to that thing. I can have a rule set about you moving money and to what areas in the world and to what extent or what amount do I allow conversationally. And you can just go ahead and do that uh, you know, with a digital assistant, you don't have to wait for 30 minutes to get to the person. The reason the person mm-hmm. is probably there is to create the trust of not allowing you to move too much or too much to the wrong party. 
uh, that mm-hmm. that's really you know what it is right um so why can't i create a rule set that also enables that trust and we go over that rule set now you now that case is the only one that goes to the human uh versus every single one of them that says move money going to human that's not good yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it's interesting it's really interesting what what are the kind of like um Either current challenges or challenges that you were facing when you were getting started in all of this kind of stuff that others may well face if if and when they kind of go through a similar kind of thing. Let's say that there's a new product manager who is uh, being tasked with doing the same sort of thing as you're being tasked with, setting up a, a conversational AI center of excellence, getting out an assistant, you know, proving the value to the business, scaling that across use cases and channels. And they're kind of starting from a you know a cold start. What are some of the challenges you you foresee them uh, facing, and and what have you kind of how have you got around that in the past? Yeah, I would say I've seen challenges in conversational design deliverables. So, like, what is the deliverable? What is the working agreement or the handoff between product and design and more technical members of the team that have to go build the thing? How do you define mm-hmm. requirements if you've never done this before? What does the design deliverable look like? You know, is it uh, something that's in some visual editor and it's a flow with boxes on it? Is it actual full, you know, on glass UI uh, for every single conversation turn uh, that's happening? How do you present um, slotting and slot values and that sort of thing uh, in a way that is understandable and discernible uh, for your dev team? So I'd say that's number one is like, what are your design deliverables and what are your working agreements? You know, get that figured out early because communication really matters in how fast you can go and how much rework you have to do because there was misunderstandings. Um, so for me, that's that's like a number one. Um, but I would also say like there's some some pieces to building something that's more than just a chat bot. Um, like you can launch a chatbot today if you get on the right platform that's low code and you could, you could go bang out a chatbot right now, right? Um, but it's still going to be stuck in sort of the chatbot gear, right? It's still in first gear and it's doing FAQs for you. So I would say start having the conversations as early as possible. And the, the challenges I ran into were around the dependencies that we have on other downstream technology to make a client experience really uh, neat and useful and helpful. Um, So we're dependent on APIs. So you have to define what is it I wanna get back in that API call when I hit that endpoint. And so defining that early and like, uh, you know, working to establish partnership with the team that builds APIs and building the right thing there before you ever have the need for it, you know, and you gotta kind of phase those things in. Um, and then the, the, the third biggest challenge I would say is uh, around the, the dream of personalization and API access is only made possible when you can uh, truly like authenticate that user and know that we've got Kane here that's talking with us and we're, we're 100% sure that it's Kane and not somebody trying to imitate Kane, you know? <laughs> um, so authentication and identity management is like, often the, the long pole in the tent that holds the rest of the, the thing up. So you've got to get that right uh, early on if you want to get away from being just a simple chatbot with FAQs and get into personalized conversational AI. 
Mm, that's very good. That's very good. How do how have you approached authentication in the past? Then have you have you kind of confined the assistant to being used by people who are kind of only logged in, or have you used like voice biometrics or network authentication, or like how have you approached that in the past? Yeah, I think the the basic ways of approaching it. You know, I can't get into too many details on it, but yeah, of course, yeah. ways to run uh, run essentially a, a, a call at the start of you know whatever trigger we're doing to to give you access to that that chat window, right, and to check that authentication state, and mm. uh, then you know from that point it's like okay they are authenticated or they're not. We decide, you know, what domain of knowledge or responses are we giving the, the bot access to? And then you could also potentially give them access to everything the virtual assistant can do, but have essentially a check in place within the conversation where, oh, they asked about moving money. Uh, I checked the authentication status after delivering, after understanding that it's that, that intent that has been triggered, and I mm-hmm. can present a step up authentication measure. Uh, that can you know come out from the side of that uh, that chat window or be inside of that chat window. So the step up authentication is a part of that. I would mm-hmm. say though that um, at least in our environment in banking, it is useful to start in your authenticated channels and to not like try and boil the entire ocean and going into you know your your social media channels or your website uh, unauthenticated channel too soon. Um, you, you definitely want to, if you're, if your goal is virtual assistant and your goal is personalized conversational AI, then it is useful to start in the mobile app or the online banking. Mm, perfect. That's wicked. Wicked. That is fantastic. So yeah, well, we'll see how things unfold and hopefully, uh, you can join us again when citizens has its assistant launched. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna blow it out, do a big demo, you know. Definitely. I think it's really exciting to to tell you how that how that journey has been going, and um, you know, so hopefully, celebrate a bunch of success. Um, you know, Truist Assist was uh, my product over at Truist, and it has launched. So uh, I'm you know very proud of the team uh, that was involved in that and got that to production. Uh, we can celebrate that win, but we're gonna put our head down on this new challenge and new opportunity and hopefully do the exact same uh celebration uh with you kane nice nice one well that's 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 on air that's a that's a public commitment so we'll we'll definitely follow up with you on that one <laughs> nice what do you say sorry i must have missed you there oh no i was just saying yeah absolutely we're gonna oh yeah yeah gonna- Definitely, definitely. Nice one. Well, Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Remember, the uh, webinar with TalkDesk is on December the 8th. You can go to vux.world forward slash events to register for that one. It's going to be all about conversational commerce. And we kind of touched on a little bit of that in this conversation around how these intelligent digital workers can be autonomously generating revenue potentially. And so if you want to learn more about that, then do go there to find out more and register. Bill? It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me and best of luck at Citizens. I'm sure it'll be a roaring success and we'll see you for the next point two, uh, version two, when that assistant is out. And then maybe we'll do a part three. And if you do get a part three, I haven't got one with me at the moment. I do have one with me, actually. You'll get a VUX World Cap. All right. (laughs) I love it. There we go. There you are. VUX World Caps for people who get the hat trick.
Oh, I love that. I love that. So we'll see. <laughs> I've, I've got goals now. I'm, I'm going for the hat trick. This is this this is goal material. Uh, definitely, definitely. Hall of Fame, VUS Hall of Fame. There's only uh, there might only be two people with one of these caps. So uh, get a move, get a move on. <laughs> hope that can be the third. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Nice one, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you. Uh, actually, we'll see you tomorrow. I'm talking to Brandon Kaplan of Journey tomorrow, all about a slightly different conversation. It's going to be all around how conversational AI is and can play a role in the emerging technology space a la uh, Web3 and uh, and all that kind of stuff, uh, Metaverse and, and this, that and the other. I don't do much content in this kind of area, so I'm definitely looking to speaking to Brandon to, uh, looking forward to that, to, uh, to see how he's thinking about it. So yeah, hopefully you can join us all tomorrow as well. And until then, see you later. Thanks, Kane. See ya. Cheers, Bill.